All right, welcome back to Colin's Shots. Uh, hope everyone had a happy, safe, tried to stay warm holidays here in Milwaukee. We're just outside Milwaukee. It's in the 40s. The snow is melting. The ground is disgusting. Um, and uh, joining me also, uh, you know, in his in his yearly pilgrimage to the home, homeland is uh, co-host of Locked on Bucks, Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, Seth. Uh, I have not done basically any work in over a week. So I'm pretty, th- pretty thrilled about that. And I'm at my family's, which means my, uh, my almost five-year-old daughter has plenty of entertainment. Uh, so yeah, it is a very, this is a very rest and relaxed version of Frank. And uh, I'm actually going to planning to see the Bucks play on Friday night this week, which somehow is the first time that I will see them since I saw them win the NBA championship in July 20th of 2021. So, uh, so yeah, things coming a little, a little full circle with this, uh, with this trip home. I uh, half expected you to say my five-year-old daughter who is a Rockets fan, but that's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) she got, I got her the, uh, I mean, I've, I've, appropriately indoctrinated her into uh the church of the freak uh Giannis is her favorite player I don't know that she I've I've told her of of other players I don't know if she really um has has really registered who you know Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday uh are um and at this point I mean Chris Middleton hasn't played basically you know since uh in the last you know 15 percent of her life or whatever it is at this point so um, so yeah, she probably wouldn't recognize Chris, uh, even if she did at one point, but, <laughs> right. um, but yeah, she got the, uh, she got the purple Giannis alternate Jersey for Christmas. So I, I, I don't, I don't know that I'm as nostalgic about those jerseys as a lot of people, but they, they are a great option for little kids who it turns out still love purple. Sure. So for those that, that don't know, uh, this is a common refrain of, of Frank when he's like my wife, who is a Rockets fan, which, you know, <laughs> she's from Houston. He's from Houston, so yeah. there was a reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, for uh, just a because you're in town, and B, I kind of wanted to talk to to you about this as someone who watches the Bucks from afar. I, I, you know, I talk to Eric Name all the time, and he is very in with the day to day. I just kind of wanted to, you know, get a different view um, and start with something that I've been sort of uh, talking about with Eric. Talked about it a little bit with Matt Moore last week. Um, the Bucks, in particular in the bud era have been certainly now that they've established themselves as like a regular season win machine. I find their regular season games. I don't want to say hard or boring. I just, they're they're They, they aren't interesting to me anymore in some way. Is that, am I killing that or, or, you know, how do you kind of get invested in, in the game to game? Because there seems like there's just such a sameness about them in many ways. Yeah. I mean, there's probably maybe like two different sides to this. Like there was the years one and two of the Bud era in Milwaukee where, you know, no matter who they were playing, you felt like it was going to be the same, you know, drop coverage. And, you know, year two, it was, if not Brooke Lopez, it's Robin Lopez protecting the rim. And, um, you know, they were kind of like, a team, especially defensively, that was sort of optimized for the average NBA opponent. And they got really good at that. And they obviously won, you know, the most games of any team in the regular season, both of those years. And so it, it worked in the sense of they were, I mean, vanilla is probably maybe not the right word, but they had their style. And, you know, we, we hear Bud talk about it all the time. And you know, you've talked about this as being, you know, really like a pop thing, right? A popism that, of course, Bud you could safely say picked up from him of like, they focus on themselves, right? Like they're worried about themselves. Um, and especially I think in the first two years, um, probably to the detriment of their playoff performances and their playoff malleability, they were, you know, just kind of, they, they mastered their one trick and they kind of executed it extremely well. And that was great for the regular season. But then, you know, I think we saw obviously some limitations to that once they got to, to the playoffs. Um, in losing to the Raptors and then the Heat and the bubble. Uh, and then the last couple of years, I mean, it's been different in the sense that I think they do more stuff, you know, during the regular season now, uh, you know, against the Celtics, they switched a lot, which, you know, is not normally a staple of what they do, um, you know, against the Pelicans a week ago, you know, they had a very specific, I'd say, game plan for defending Zion with 
first Drew Holiday and then Wes Matthews and, you know, kind of using small guys to form kind of the, the first layer defense and then, you know, have Brooke Lopez and Giannis behind him. So, I mean, it, it's not to say they never did that previously, but, you know, they still do some of that. Now. You know, they, they definitely do more of that now where it's like, okay, yeah, they actually have some game plan that is, is different from what they might otherwise do. And, you know, I think Bud will, you know, there'll be like a few game stretch where it's like, okay, Bud doing a lot of switching this week, right? Is there a strong reason for that? I don't know, but they're just kind of working through some of that stuff. So I think there's, they, they kind of are, are, I'd say they, they, they do try more things during the regular season now than they have in the past. Um, but I think there is, and, and this was something I think coming into this year, I was really interested in seeing how it impacted their, their success, especially without Chris Middleton was, you know, there is just always, especially now that they've won a championship, but really starting the year after the bubble, there was, I think, this sense of, well, we're really just trying to get to the playoffs and we're really just trying to set ourselves up to be healthy and ready for the playoffs. And as you said, the regular season and, and being awesome throughout the regular season is clearly taking a backseat. And, you know, the fact that the first year they basically, so I think, took that approach, they win an NBA championship probably would only, you know, reinforce that that's the way to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and this gets to what, you know, I know you and Matt were kind of talking in generally about, you know, the entertainment level of the regular season and how I think Matt's view is, you know, hey, it would be nice if, you know, there was just like a little bit more night to night um, engagement or sense of urgency from teams. Um, but I'd say the Bucks are certainly not one of those teams that you feel like, you know, they are necessarily leaving it all out on the floor. And I think that's even true of Giannis, who, you know, most people would say Giannis is, kind of the plays hard every night type guy. But I think reality is he, he also chooses his battles to an extent now. And I think he's admitted as much versus, you know, when he was younger, when he maybe didn't do that, but I think especially defensively, you know, like I don't think Giannis is as engaged as he was, you know, earlier in his career on just a kind of a night to night, 48 minute type basis. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say in general, it's hard. And then I think for me too, I mean, we thought Chris Milton was coming back a few weeks ago. He returns against the Lakers, looks surprisingly good. And then is, has some very uh, up and down, maybe a little charitable, but um, you know, really didn't get his rhythm back and has now been out for a little bit and hopefully might be back by Friday. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been kind of hard also to watch them just because I mean, without Chris Middleton, I mean, they're not winning a championship without Chris Middleton. And I think we saw why in last year's playoff series against the Celtics. And I think we saw why again on Christmas Day and certainly over the past few weeks, some of their bobbles, uh, especially against good teams, um, you know, they've clearly lacked that that extra gear that that Chris Middleton can give them and has given them in the past. And so I'd say you know, I, I certainly would find the Bucks more interesting if they actually had kind of their full complement with principally Chris, Drew, and, and Giannis. And, you know, but but to your point as well, you know, is even that version of the Bucks the kind of team that's going to give you, you know, the playoff preview of what they're going to be like on a night-to-night basis? Probably not. Uh, and again, they're an old team. You know, they have a couple of younger players, but they're an old team. And they've, you know, most of these guys have, have been to the mountaintop. And so I think that does impact the the degree to which you're going to be, you know, informed and, and really get a sense of who they are during the regular season. Yeah, I want to I want to be clear. This is very much kind of a first class problem. This is very much, yeah. you know, watch a ton of games. And and, you know, I think for people, especially people who probably don't see them or Giannis in particular often or, you know, this year. You know, if, if one is a, if one wants to be a basketball hipster, Brooke Lopez has been, you know, yes. um, very, uh, um, I'm certainly not, uh, not, not immune to his charms, obviously. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is, it's, it's not so much that they're, they aren't entertaining or, you know, they don't do things that are cool. It's just like, I think you hinted at it. It's just, we don't, the, the, at this point, they're not a team we're going to learn a lot about in a regular season setting. Um, and that's, that's, that's part, that's part roster, part scheme, I think. Right. You know, there, there aren't, you know, maybe there's like the little bit of, of does Joe Ingles have anything left and, and, or will Marjan Beauchamp be like a, a playoff viable player. But other than that, like 
they got the dudes they got and the dudes they got do the things the dudes they got do and and <laughs> and you know and you know sometimes the ball goes in sometimes they they play somewhat flowy on offense and sometimes the other team makes shots and you know and that's that seems like that's sort of where we are and where we have been for and that i and that, that again that's it that's a problem for the i watch like multiple games a night guy not i see the bucks every like once every two weeks guy yeah there's there's definitely um i mean most teams even teams that are you know contenders like probably usually have some younger players or some players who there's more of that like oh what is is this guy making a leap is this guy taking some next step and with the bucks it's more of you know are people just sort of staying healthy and not um are we not seeing a drop off in drew holiday's you know step back jump shot or you know his night to night defense or things like that it's more about like just maintaining and probably i mean the irony has been you mentioned brooke i mean brooke has been <laughs> despite the fact that he's almost 35 and he's you know the, the senior citizen of the bucks starting five you know, he's been the guy that actually has been the you know i hesitate to say breakout star because you know he's been a phenomenal all defensive caliber player um going back to you know his first couple of seasons in in milwaukee but um but he's been sort of the you know fresh breath of air for this roster after missing most of last season and you know other than marjan bochamp who you alluded to um had think showing some some nice signs some nice flashes um throughout these first 30 games um you know that's that's kind of it like otherwise i mean there there's this is a pretty fully formed team and given the fact that we've seen this core also just win a championship you know it's like again even to the extent that you could even tell whether a team is now ready to win a championship I mean, they've done it. So, like, there's not even really that, like, fake storyline, which, you know, again, to be honest, it's like the, the Celtics. Okay, the Celtics haven't won a championship with this group. But, like, are we going to learn something in the regular season that answers some huge existential question about the Boston Celtics? I would argue not, right? They were awesome the second half of last year, and they were obviously awesome for long stretches in the playoffs and just sort of couldn't couldn't keep it together at the end. And, you know, I don't. I'm guessing the Celtics as well would say, you know they can't win a they can't win an NBA championship in the eighty two game regular season. So even if they're an awesome regular season team, ultimately it's going to be the playoffs where you know those final kind of final exam questions get answered. And with the Bucks, I'd say kind of similar. Only you know we've seen them we've seen this group win it a couple of years ago, and now it's just more a question of you know can they do it again rather than you know can they get to the mountaintop? Yeah, can they can they get to the base of the mountain with their with their with their uh, climbing party intact? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Will Chris Milton not fall into a ravine or something like yes, that along the yeah, way? That's, um, that's that's probably the best question right now. I was I was uh, taking my daughter doing some post uh, some post you know Christmas deal shopping, and we went to like a, a board game shop, and there was an Oregon Trail board game, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Grace Allen has died of dysentery or something like that. <laughs> but um, the uh if if you know you know um <laughs> so that i guess that's that's that leads to sort of the next question of of, of this is a team you know but even boston is a case where all right there were some like skill level flaws in some of their players that kind of came to the fore not just in the finals i think the fact that they made kind of harder work than they needed to of the bucks without middleton and that the heat last year kind of revealed you know some some shortcomings in jason tatum jalen brown's game and also just like seeing you know if, how malcolm brogdon is uh, you know fits in and, and like how much he can close like like those are at least like hmm, let's see because these are you know new players and young enough players that conceivably adding to their games is, is something you can expect the bucks don't even have that so now it's just a question of like all right assuming everyone's healthy what do you think like going into the, you know, headed, you know, if play like assume health playoffs start tomorrow, uh, uh, conference finals, Bucks versus Celtics. How are you feeling? Celtics have home court just because that's where the standings are today. Uh, it, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, again, unfortunately, it's the same question that we asked, you know, six, seven months ago is, am I getting Chris Middleton? It, it, yeah. it sounds like he, he's close. And I, I don't think um, based on my understanding that he's got like a serious injury here that he's coming back from with the bottom line is he you know, obviously he hasn't played. So are, are we granting like some some reasonably healthy version of Chris Middleton? Yeah. Maybe yes. yeah, 85, 90 yeah. percent. Yeah. And is, um, has played 20 games. And so isn't like, you know, has, has knocked the rust off and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Just sort um, of like, I mean, you I, know, 60th percentile, whatever, heading into the playoffs kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I would expect, I mean, I would expect the Celtics will be favored in, in at least some part because they're going to be, I would expect they'll be a better regular season team and love home court. Um, I think for me, the Bucks coming this regular season, I mean, to, to the earlier discussion, we know they're not a team that is trying to maximize their regular season wins, but um, I, I mean, I think they would be well, well served, especially based on what we saw last year to, to try to get the two seed. Um, if, if, you know, if, assuming they can't you know, necessarily catch Boston, unless, you know, like Tatum or Brown goes out for some extended period. But, um, but I mean, I, th- I think they're the kind of team that, uh, you know, having, having watched them win a championship in a way where, you know, they they crushed Miami, but against Brooklyn, right? That easily could have swung the other direction. And there's a whole, you know, what if what if scenario if if uh, if they don't beat Boston, the you know the the offense in that series, and that was the one series where their offense really could not score effectively. I think they had like a 105 offensive rating, and then they had like a 117 in each of the other three series that they played that year. Um, so I mean, I think we all know, like that, you know, you just can run into these random series and the more difficult series you have to negotiate to get to, um, you know, the conference finals or, or ultimately the finals, like the higher your probability is you're just not going to make it at some point and, or, or an injury, right? Like, I mean, the honest injury and against the Hawks, right? Like that could have easily been, you know, uh, a season ender for the, for the team um, under different circumstances. But I, I think at this point, I mean, I would expect Boston would be favored going into that type of matchup, even if Middleton comes back and, you know, starts to look kind of like his old self. Um, you know, I, I think, I, you know, I, our, our friend, Nate Duncan, I, when we did the Bucks outlook this year, I mean, I, I think I, you know, basically predicted that, that I would give Boston sort of the slight edge um, in a scenario like this coming into the year. And again, especially without having seen Middleton, um, I think 22 and 11 where the Bucks are right now is a very good place to be knowing kind of what we know about um, that, that Middleton basically hasn't played. Uh, you know, Connaughton got her right, right before the start of the season. He's only now in the last like week or so started to look kind of like the guy that, that we've seen in the past couple, last couple of years. Um, so I, I think all things considered, you know, I'm, I'm okay with where the bucks are now. Uh, I think it's actually been a pretty decent start, especially from a wins loss perspective, outperforming their, their point expectations. But, you know, I think we saw on Christmas day, I mean, it's the same challenge that we saw on Christmas. And again, one game regular season. I mean, what does that really mean? Not, a ton, but, um, but I think if you kind of figure out like, well, what, what are we going to be trying to figure out as these teams match up for the playoffs? I mean, they're still the team that I think can defend Giannis the best of any team, probably in either conference, just because they have multiple guys who can at least credibly defend him one-on-one and, and allow you to not have to send a bunch of extra help. And, um, you know, we're game on Christmas just because Giannis made a bunch of mid-range shots, which he hasn't been doing all year. And but just couldn't get to the rim, which we saw at times he struggled with against the Boston in the playoffs. And, um, you know, that was one of the weirder playoff series for Giannis in the sense that he put up just these monster numbers. But, you know, the Boston, the Celtics also gave him a lot of trouble. Right. I mean, he was not an efficient scorer really in that series. And without Middleton, obviously took on a larger load than than you would have liked hope. So I, I think given the Celtics have a credible chance of of at least slowing Giannis down or making him have to take more shots than you'd like to get his 30 to 35 points every night. I think that's always sort of the starting point for any team to beat the Bucks. And then the fact that, you know, they don't really have defensive weak links to attack and the Bucks aren't really like the kind of team that attacks weak links anyway. So I think, you know, again, I think defensively they can hold up well against the Bucks team that obviously historically has, kind of always run into challenges shooting the ball and in the playoffs and always seems to have their kind of foibles offensively. And then I think on the other end, um, 
you know, can they stop Brown, Tatum, and and the complimentary guys that, that the Celtics have for seven games? Um, I mean, I think it's going to be really tough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we saw obviously Tatum went off on Christmas Day. Um, we saw him obviously have at least a couple of monster games in that series against the Bucks last spring. So I think it's fair at this point. I mean, if both teams are healthy, I think it's fair to say that the Celtics would would at least have have some edge. Um, and I think part of why I would say that too is just this is the first year where at least through 30 games, like it doesn't feel like Giannis has actually gotten better. Um, you know, it feels like he's regressed in terms of um, kind of his little in-between game. He's really struggled when he's not getting to the rim. Um, his mid-range shot has started to come around a little bit, but, you know, three-point shot and, and you know, any, any semblance of a hook shot, a push shot has just completely abandoned him. So those are, you know, tools in his toolkit that you would absolutely need to beat the Celtics. And I think Giannis is going to get better. And, and some of those things I think will revert back to the mean of the course of the regular season. Um, but, you know, as we sit here right now, projecting forward, they certainly don't make me more confident about a Bucks Celtics matchup relative to where we were, you know, six months ago when obviously the Bucks came pretty close to, to beating Boston and, you know, had pretty much you know, having a, a chance to close out on your home court in game six. That's pretty much all you could have asked for going into that series. And, you know, Giannis held up his end of the bargain in that game, but unfortunately, you know, I think just the, the Bucks lack of depth ultimately doomed them. And you can obviously make a good case that Chris Middleton turns that series around and helps the Bucks win that series. But, um, you know, I guess we'll see. I think certainly the addition of, of Brogdon, who you mentioned helps and Boston being a younger team, I think also, you know, just the experience they went through would, you, know, you would expect that to be additive to their, kind of overall kind of makeup and, and from a playoff perspective versus the Bucks, you know, like we said, they've been to the mountaintop losing in the second round. I, I would hope would maybe re, re, you know, reignite a little bit of the hunger that I think you naturally lose coming off a championship. But, um, but as we said, I mean, they they kind of are what they are. We know what they are. We know they can win a championship. Um, but as far as, you know, like adding something to, to them and, and how they play and, um, you know, skill development, some of that stuff, you know, as, as you're saying, like, I don't think there was that sort of, of upside on the Bucks on the Bucks roster. I think probably the two, the two guys that I would look at, and again, they're not young guys, but two guys that, that I think relative to last playoff series, you know, some of the role players uniformly struggled offensively for the Bucks. Um, but Brooke Lopez, you know, obviously he had come back late in the regular season and he's looked awesome here so far this season, defensively and offensively. Um, he's the one guy who's actually shooting better now than he has in the past. And, you know, our, our friend Eric wrote a great story. I think it actually had was coming out like right after you had talked to him in early November on, on this show. Um, you know, he wrote a really interesting story about how Brooke kind of, you know, sort of went through his, his shot mechanics, his shot trajectories and work to, to kind of re-optimize that over the summer. And it's been paying off so far we'll, hopefully that will continue and then you know defensively you know having a, a defensive player of the year caliber season at 34 is obviously you can't say enough about kind of what he brings so i think having a hopefully healthy and you know in rhythm brooke lopez and then i think always the most interesting thing with with drew holiday and you know when nate and i did the season preview you know there was sort of the question of like well can drew holiday keep this up right and he shot 50 percent from the field 40 percent from three last year and i don't know that he can keep up his regular season exploits the last couple of years. But the irony is, I mean, he's, he's, he's had such a huge drop off in the playoffs that I thought last year, I was like, Oh, what if we just get a normal regular season offensive version of drew holiday from an efficiency standpoint, that's a huge addition relative to what we saw when they won a championship. But unfortunately, you know, I think especially the Boston series, him having to carry that extra load really was too much for him to, to carry in addition to the, all the responsibility he has defensively. So that's like one of those other just sort of X factors that I don't know if, if Drew Holiday at this point, I mean, is he capable of being a really effective offensive player night to night in a seven game series against a team like Boston when he has to put out such effort and energy defensively? Maybe he's Ener not. Energy and effort. Where have I heard that before? Energy and effort. I know. <laughs> Honestly, when I said that, Seth, I, I, I did have like momentary Jason Kidd flashbacks, but I apologize. Um, but uh, but that's the other kind of thing I just find interesting because it's like you can't really expect Drew to be better than he was the last regular seasons. But offensively, he 
he was really rough for long stretches of the playoffs in the last two years. And I mean, if he ever, if he could turn that around and, and just be more consistent offensively in the playoffs, um, that that's a huge ad for the Bucks, and, and would probably go a long way to, to helping solve some of the offensive wobbles that, that they've had against, you know, the Nets a couple of years ago and, and Boston last year. But, but again, I think, I think, again, this all sort of comes back to, I think you need Chris Middleton to be taking off some of that burden in order for Drew to be as effective as he can be. And I think we're seeing that too with Giannis, you know, just the sky high usage that Giannis has right now. I think, again, it, I think it's just, he, he can't play that way for 82 games and affect them to be, expect them to be as efficient as, as you need them to be. But um, again, it's, 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 I, I just hope that those are the top two seeds, you know, selfishly, as someone who's obviously follows the Bucs, I, I obviously want the Bucs to be a top two seed. But I think just as a fan of, of the sport, you know, I, I think it would be great if those two teams were aligned such that they would play in the conference finals rather than um, in the second round. And, and I'm, I'm hoping the Bucs also, also would view the value of, of, uh, of not having to face Boston in the second round. But again, we'll see. We'll see if that translates into any incremental urgency to win games because certainly that that has not been the Bucks MO these last two, three years. So uh, I think sort of there's two questions that kind of combine into one that I kind of wanted to go to next. Uh, um, Abdul Rahman in, in comments, I'm going to paraphrase, is basically he's wondering about the half-court offense. I think it's something that we can agree has been a playoff concern for mm-hmm. essentially the entire but era, I would say. Yep. Um, and it's, it's, it's the sort of thing that um, sort of really starts to show up when you play credible opponents. They've had no problem dissecting uh, bad teams. Interestingly, by the way, that's the one, that's the one sort of unusual thing about the Bucks uh, uh, profile this year is they're only five and four against like, uh, uh, like I, I divide, you know, the opponents into like kind of three tranches, if you will, like teams that are 50 win base, uh, above teams that are 35 win base and below and teams in the middle. Usually that breaks in down into about a third this year, since it's, it's more bunched up, we're getting more teams in the middle, but they're only five and four against that bottom rung teams. And, and over the, over the, the, the bud tenure, like uh, uh, 2019, 20 was, was uh, one of the great like smash bad teams years that a team has had in like the play-by-play data era, essentially of last, last 25, 30 years. Um, they, you know, they, they, I think I, I forget how, they, they lost like one game to a bottom tier team and had um, so like a plus 12 net rating in those games or something like that. Just absolutely smashed the bad teams. And they're not doing that this year. Anyway, that's not what I, uh, that's not my question. My question is, is the half court offense, especially against good teams. And um, does the word, do any worries about that or anything else? Do those, you know, we're still a ways away from the trade deadline, but you know, they're, they're a team that in, you know, this incarnation has kind of made a move every year to try to add something. Um, what, what would you think that would be the thing that they should be most looking for? Um, answer those in kind of either order. Yeah, I think the, the offense has been interesting. I mean, the offense being, you know, below average, um, has been interesting. I mean, the last couple of years. I mean, that the think, the offense globally this year is. I mean, that's that's Middleton being out. Like, I don't think they're nineteenth yeah. in offense if if Chris Middleton has played you know twenty five thirty games. Yeah, and I think that the the most interesting about the offensive problems, like when I look at the cleaning the glass stats on transition, right? Like the the points added per one hundred possessions through transition. Um, they're it's a great stat, you know, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was actually shocked because they rank first defensive transition um, by that metric this year, which actually kind of surprised me because there have been some very obvious um, points where they've gotten burned uh, in transition off of like missed free throws and things like that. Uh, but in the aggregate, the numbers are still super favorable for them um, by that metric. But the offensive numbers are way down, which is interesting because I think Giannis is still leading the league at like 10 points per, per game in transition or something. And, you know, the transition take foul rule, it doesn't seem like there's, you know, you wouldn't pick probably anybody aside from Giannis as being sort of the, the obvious beneficiary of teams not uh, taking as many take fouls in transition. So the fact that as a team that they've struggled so much um, in transition and, and not generating 
um, as many easy buckets through through the break, I think um, is a bit of a surprise to me, especially because, I mean, you say like, oh, well, Chris Middleton, he doesn't really want to like, you know, you know, speed run, uh, you know, like each game is like, he's not just a guy that wants to like run up and down the court, but, you know, then you kind of forget, well, what, what weapon is so key to, to fast break basketball? Like with the Bucks, you always, you always think of it as Giannis just going coast to coast and dunking, but the three point shot is obviously essential to, to being effective in transition. And, you know, this year they're 27th by that metric. Last year, they were 14th, year before 7th, 12th, and 3rd, going back through the the five years of the Bud era. But so they've had a, a very clear, you know, they, they have, or put it this way, they have not kept up with the rest of the league at, at, at least um, by by their transition offense. And so that is certainly an area that, you know, they, you know, you always expect that to kind of go down during the, during the playoffs for the reasons you mentioned, but they're not even getting that benefit right now in the regular season. But I, I would agree though. I mean, I think when you look at, you know, the, the Raptors series, that heat series, you know, the, the common thread through those, especially those two losses. And then last year against Boston was just, again, things just became so hard. Well, and almost losing court. to the Nets as well. And yes, exactly too. The Nets, I thought, as much as you know, people even now like joke about the Nets' kind of defensive problems. Um, they did a really good job, better than any other team that they faced that playoff run, of making it kind of an ugly, grinded out game. And I think you know some of Giannis's decision making with some of his you know shot selection early, especially early in that series, was maybe some of that. But you know, even Middleton, Holiday, like, like they just they just really couldn't get into a, a normal rhythm offensively um and so yeah i i think the half court offense though will will still be that that main question and you know it, it was interesting i mean when you think of well what do you need to to be more effective in the half court i mean i think the obvious question would be well shouldn't you go and and find some shot creation at the guard spot you know that would that would be kind of like the you know the place i would think like normally you'd start and so i think it was very interesting that coming out of this summer, they retained both George Hill and Javon Carter, two guys who are not shot creators. George Hill's not even playing right now. And Joe Ingles, mainly because of Joe Ingles coming back, and obviously he's not playing point guard, but you know the whole thesis of that signing, which we, we can discuss whether or not that was a, a flawed thesis, and obviously we won't know for a while yet, but, um, but the whole thesis being that, well, a guy like Ingles who can shoot, can run some pick and roll, and just generally like you know, from a connector ball movement, um, just a guy who, Hey, he can actually make entry passes and he can throw a a lob up top for Giannis in ways that a guy like, you know, a Grayson Allen probably just doesn't feel comfortable doing or, or Pat Connaughton or Wes Matthews. Like those guys just don't have that type of, of skill set and, um, you know, passing intuition and, and, and kind of that well-rounded sort of offensive IQ. Um, that was, I thought, a, a very interesting and certainly I wasn't expecting Joe Ingles to his name to be called on, you know, uh, July one for the, for the bucks as being there, they're right off the bat free agent signing. Um, so that, that to me is like kind of the probably the area and, I, and I've been kind of polling people um, and would love to get your take on, on what you would think the bucks should be targeting. Cause at this point, you know, George Hill is, is at least for the moment, not playing at all. Javon Carter's the backup point guard. Um, Drew Holiday played with Javon Carter as a starter for long stretches of this year to kind of let Drew not exert so much energy chasing point guards. Um, but it seems like, at least at the moment, that the intention is to to go with um, kind of a starting lineup that's more typical with last year. And again, if it's continuing to be Grayson Allen, I personally would probably just at this point throw Pat Connaughton in the starting five and just kind of say, all right, we need to kind of say uncle on the idea that Grayson Allen's going to start against the Boston Celtics and kind of keep doing that for the regular season as well. But, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think to me, like the, the question would be like, is there a guard who has some shot creation ability that also doesn't bring a huge compromise on the defensive end? Um, and the problem is, even as I say that, it's like, well, good luck, Frank. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you want to find a shot creating uh, guard who is a good defender. Like, all right, do you have, you know, the assets to go get a 20 to $25 million player? Like, nope, that, the Bucks don't have that. Um, and that's why, you know, you see them linked with guys like Jordan Clarkson, right? Who right. are kind of that shiny object. Hey, that guy can go go get some buckets. Maybe someone like that would be, you know, a potential alternate solution, even though 
you know, Jordan Clarkson brings compromises, I think, um, potentially on both ends. Um, and, 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 but is that better than, you know, running Javon Carter or, or George Hill out there um, for backup point guard minutes? So th- that, that kind of is, you know, I, I think there's always two, you know, you, you can never have too many big wings. Uh, obviously, Chris Middleton is, is the obvious answer to your big wing problem. But, you know, could you, would it be bad to have another big wing? No. I think that's why, you know, they continue to be connected to Jay Crowder, even though I don't, I don't My know question there Jay is, Crowder is Jay Crowder a wing anymore? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I, I know I, I was talking to Eric and, you know, about this and, you know, Eric was saying like, he hasn't defended Jason Tatum in years, right? Like, he never defends Jason Tatum uh, when he was on the sun, when he, when he was actually playing for the Suns. So, um, so I, I think. I, I, but I would probably say, I mean, when I look at this this team, where is the weak spot? Well, you're starting Grayson Allen at shooting guard. And I don't think Grayson Allen is a bad player. But if, again, you're optimizing for how this team matches up with the Boston Celtics, he's a guy that I think defensively is just, it, no matter how hard it works, he's just not big enough, uh, especially if you're going to have to switch a fair bit. And he just hasn't shown that offensively. He can generate enough quality offense uh, against the Celtics now going back to the playoffs and we saw it again uh, in this last game, right? There's, there's no three point shots that he seems comfortable getting off against that Boston defense. So I think to me, it's, you know, what are you doing about your shooting guard slash backup point guard position? That's where I think I would ask the questions. And then you kind of hope that you have enough uh, depth with Chris coming back at the wing and at the big spots. Um, but uh, again, it's not to say, you know, Bobby Portis certainly defensively brings compromises, especially if his jump shot, which, you know, I think he's actually played pretty well offensively, but his three point shot has not been there. Um, but I think for me, I, I always just come back to, all right, Javon Carter's your backup point guard and he can barely bring the ball up sometimes. And he's been everything you'd want of a guy making $2 million as a waiver wire type pickup. But, you know, is that, is that good enough as the backup point guard on a championship contender? I think that's a question. And then, you know, again, just the shooting guard position in general, are you, do you have enough quality there and, and who's going to be eating up those minutes, whether it's a starter or, or off the bench against, again, let's, let's start with the Boston Celtics because to me, that's your biggest competition. No, I think that that's the, I think you've, you've laid out and it's, it's, it's a little bit are we getting someone to play the Celtics. Or are we getting someone to play everybody? Uh, next yeah. question I'm going to ask is I think that we've, you know, kind of it's snuck on up on us in the last 10 days or so is that, um, I don't think it's just those two teams we're talking about anymore, or it shouldn't yeah. be just those two teams we're talking about anymore. So it's le- so it's sort of um, you know a, a more of a, a just all around quality would be kind of where I'd be looking now. And I think no, and I think you're you, you know that that big wing might be that, but I think that sort of the backcourt and more shot creation, more ball movement, more. But then who is that guy? I don't know. I mean, it's it's almost like you're hoping for for certain teams to just, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jordan McLaughlin and the Wolves might go somewhere, but, but you're aiming higher than that still. Like that's a, he's a, a, a serviceable player who's serviceable in a different way than Javon Carter is. So, so is that Jordan Clarkson? Is there someone, you know, a little bit better than that? Who, who might, who might bring some, some juice? I think that's, that's almost, you know, um, you got to get back to, I didn't like the, the, the Ingles signing um, in part because I, I asked the question earlier about Crowder. Is he, can he, is he even a wing anymore? Like Ingles is a, is a four now and the Bucks don't have any minutes at the four. Yeah. Like, like you, and, and that's assuming that there's, you know, older guy, not rapid to begin with coming off an ACL. I've loved Joe Ingles as a player, but you know, I, I, I maybe would have gambled somewhere else. Um, I like, I, you know, as, as little as he's shown over the course of his career to this point, I actually kind of wouldn't have minded them taking a, taking a flyer on Lonnie Walker uh, and he's, and he's yeah. done, you know, reasonably well for the Lakers. And I think in ways that would have been helpful for the Bucks. not to say that, you know, I'm, you know, uh, prescient or something like that, but you're just, think, a clutch, like, you're just a clutch guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, steps. exactly. <laughs> definitely, definitely love being in business with, with, with that. That's, that's, that is a, that is a, that is a surefire path to organizational harmony and success. Well, let me, let me ask you, I mean, we've talked that we've kind of danced around Clarkson. Um, obviously he's put up big raw numbers for a, a jazz team that had a very nice start at this point. I don't know what the, I don't know how the jazz ultimately view themselves. I, I, I'm curious where they're going to be in, you know, two months or I guess we're already almost to January. So in one call it one month here when the trade deadline's approaching and 
you know, I know there was talk about like, oh, they're interested in extending him. It's like, okay, let let me see if Danny Ainge is actually extending Jordan Clarkson or not. But, um, but what is your thought on Clarkson? Because I, I'm always just sort of torn because I mean, again, I, I'm sure he can get off more shots against a Boston Celtics half court defense than Grayson Allen. Uh, I, I don't know that he's going to make a ton of shots. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably a more high variance guy, which maybe isn't a bad thing in terms of a playoff series where you just need a guy to kind of help push you over the edge and, and randomly, you know, score 25 in, in a game that you might not otherwise win if he, if he doesn't. Um, but do you view Clarkson as a guy that, that, you know, if you're in, in the Bucks position, you would target, or I guess, is there somebody else you know, he mentioned Jordan McLaughlin. By the way, Jordan McLaughlin looks too much like Javon Carter for me. I can't, Bucks can't acquire him. It would be too hard to, to keep them, tell them apart. So they're, they're basically the opposite as players, though. <laughs> just physically. Just physically. I can't yeah. tell them. Um, what's your take on Clarkson? Because I'm always like, uh, I'm, like I'm, I, I'm always like wary of, of buying into the guy that, you know, puts up points on middling efficiency. And I think he was 34% from three when I last checked. Um, so I'm, I'm very wary of kind of being seduced by that, especially given the Bucks don't have, you know, any near term first rounders that, that they can part with. And they don't really, you know, again, like he's the poo poo platter of second round picks enough for a guy like that. I don't know. Um, but it, I guess is, 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 is Jordan Clark's the guy that, that there is a deal that you would say, Hey, yeah, I think that does potentially answer questions for the Bucks. or again, is it more of, yeah, you're kind of just scraping for, for something that may not be there. So I think there's a version of that that works. My more worry is this is this becomes, especially with a very established, entrenched, I don't know, set kind of way of playing. It's not just the player, it's how they would be used. And I, my worry is that they, like, if they were to give Jordan Clarkson a regular role, he'd basically be like the Lou Williams, okay, the second unit minutes are yours. And I've always thought that kind of sucked. As a like the the notion of like Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, whoever else, just keep the second unit afloat. That I don't I'm I I don't think that actually works in it like consistently in the playoffs against good teams. Um, so and like I think that there's been things about Clarkson like like I don't know how much Utah you've seen this year, but like he's never going to be a great defensive player. But they got they he's guarding this year, so yeah. I, like like he's you know you say Grayson Allen will compete on defense. I don't think you're actually losing that much defensively yeah. going from like in all honesty going from from like they like Grayson's maybe a little bit bigger I think Clarkson's probably stays in front of the ball a little bit better but you know neither are great shakes um, yeah and but just having one more dude and I think you know on some level it's that they're not comparable players I think Malcolm's like obviously a much better player I think the degree to which just having one more guy who could dribble has helped Boston yeah like you know, I think there, there, there's something to be said there, but again, how is he going to get used? And that's, I think that's, you know, part of the problems, the sort of the juiceless nature of the team construction is it reflects kind of how, you know, we, uh, you, you know, we, you're just coming off the world cup and we, and we've seen like, how can you turn that collection of players and playing that way? Um, um, and, and, but the, the, the roster is a reflection of the preferred style. And so you, maybe you can, you can, you can mold that and push it a little bit, but you're not going to fully change it. I mean, they're not going to be, they're not going to be playing, you know, D'Antoni ball. So, so that, I think that almost limits the universe of possible acquisitions even further. Um, which is, which is a long way of me saying, I don't know. I mean, it, actually, like Eric asked this question to me the other day, and like you know, the names I threw out were you know, uh, um, Seth, longtime favorite, Kenrich Williams, but again, yeah, he, he, maybe he's a pure four now, uh, like Jason yeah. Tate, um, John Conchar. If uh, if Memphis starts to feel good about some of their young guys, like these are guys who are all sort of much more on the functional side, but I think guys on the functional side are the guys who would actually get the rotation minutes, um. Now, whether you actually want them to get the rotation minutes, whether that like costs like Beauchamp a, a chance to to show that he can he can do some things, maybe bring a little bit of of burst and dynamism in a playoff setting. I don't know. So it's a it's a it's a tough it's a, it's a tough spot, and I don't like the 
there there is an improvement to be made, but they're also in the spot where it, it you know the 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 bar that a player has to clear to be able to meaningfully hit them is pretty high. And as you said, there's not a lot of of uh, of, of uh, there's no, the cupboard the, the 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 cupboard is pretty bare in terms of of what to use to to go there. So I don't know. It's a it's a question we can turn over in our heads, and it's just like I think it's it's going to take some. To find the real difference maker, it's going to have to take either someone else making a like a bad move, or something very creative. Um, and you know, they're, 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 you don't want to dismiss that out of hand. Um, I, I want to close on just asking about you know we've talked a ton about um, uh, we, we've talked a ton about you know the, the Celtics, but um, you know the Cavs have been sticking around all year. Uh, the Nets have been the frankly, the best team in the league over the last month. Uh, and the Sixers seem like they're, they're putting stuff together. All of a sudden, what looked like, you know, a conference finals by default now looks a lot trickier. Um, am, I, am I overreacting to good stretches from those teams? Or are you, you know, who's on your radar as, as uh, ooh, that's tricky in a playoff series? I thought I think coming well. I'll first of all I'll apply kind of the regular season lens because I do think seating matters to the Bucks. I don't think the Bucks care about seating as much as <laughs> as much as I do, but um, that that may be to their detriment. I think coming into this year, I, I thought Philly and Cleveland more so Philly. I thought Philly. Prob- I I thought in my head I was like you know Philly may maybe t- I might pick the Sixers over the Bucks from a regular season win standpoint just because I think they were coming in with more to prove. And I, I think some of the changes they made, you know, with adding PJ and, and Melton, um, I thought, you know, there was at least enough turnover that, and, and, you know, you obviously the, the, the hope for them was that Harden would come back feeling like he had something to prove and Maxi looking to make an all-star jump, all that. Like it felt like there was more of a reason for them to really try in the regular season and have, you know, more of that night to night motivation. So I thought, Philly had a very good chance of, of beating the Bucks um, to the to the second seed. And then I thought Cleveland was kind of like the wild card. I mean, Brooklyn's always, let's be clear, Brooklyn is always a wild card because, you know, I think back to this summer, right? We, who knew what the hell was going to happen with the Nets? Um, in some ways, they're still the ultimate wild card. I think Cleveland is maybe less of a wild card now because I think we just were trying to figure out, like, okay, like, does Mitchell fit with those guys? You know, what does the, the kind of balance look like? Um, I, I think those teams... Um, are capable in a, you know, I think there's a scenario where each of those teams could beat a Bucks team that is, you know, not able to get out of its own way. And, and maybe just, again, I'm, I'm, you know, if we have a healthy Chris Middleton, I'm a lot less worried about that with, with those teams. Um, but I think, you know, just starting with Philly, to me, they're probably the, the greatest threat because, um, you know, I think, I think, Seth, I think a couple of years ago, um, I can't remember which playoffs it was, but I think you, you made a comment on, I think I heard you on one podcast and you made the comment just about, you know, Embiid has this, you know, best player in a playoff series equity where, you know, in most series as a, as a Bucks team, you're going to feel like Giannis is probably going to be that best player. If you go against the Sixers, Embiid is so good that there's a very real chance that Joel Embiid can be the best player in that series. And, you know, certainly the regular season numbers he's putting up right now are, are incredible offensively. Um, and the Bucks, you know, had had some success with Brooke Lopez here in these first two matchups so far this season. That was a bit encouraging, although I think, you know, when he starts hitting mid-range jumpers, it's there's, there's not really much you can do with, with Joel Embiid. And I think he didn't do a lot of that in, in the first couple of games necessarily. So I, I think Philly is scary in the sense that they have, you know, a guy in Embiid that, that nobody has a real answer for. And I think the Bucks have, you know, an answer who is reasonable to defend Joel. But, you know, you don't look at, at Brooke as being like an Embiid stopper. And I just don't think that player exists anymore, right? Marcus Sell is retired. So <laughs> there's no more, no more Embiid stoppers in the league. Um, and PJ, again, I don't, you know, what does PJ have left in the tank come playoffs? I, I don't know, right? I mean, he's obviously offensively, he's pretty much a nothing right now. There's talk about his hand injury, what, what might be going on there. Um, but he, he knows how to play Giannis better than most. Um, and so I think that's foul a lot and hope you get the foul right a lot and just, yeah, exactly. 
just foul a lot and complain all the time and, you know, just normalize fouling, right? That's the best way yeah. to defend Giannis. Um, and, and then, again, I mean, with Harden, I mean, to me, the big question with them is just like, well, does anybody really trust James Harden, you know, in the playoffs when, when things really matter? Um, so I think to me, that's always kind of like the, the big open-ended question. And I think the other thing too, is like with Philly, um, you know, they can play really good defensive lineups, but their closing lineup is always going to be Harden and Maxi. And so there's always going to be, and again, we can talk about, you know, Harden again, he has some positive attributes in terms of his strength, but you know, you're not rolling out the Celtics starting five from a defensive, you know, like the Celtics are so scary because like they just don't have guys that you can easily attack defensively versus Philly always will when things really matter. They're always going to play guys that, that you can attack at least somewhat defensively. So I, I think Philly, there's a version of Philly. Absolutely. That, that I think is a threat. Um, I think they're probably the team I, I would, you know, be on Boston. I'd be most concerned about um, Brooklyn. Who knows? Right. I mean, I, I'm just waiting, you know, when, when does Kyrie, you know, get the itch to tweet something or, you know, when does KD, you know, get his customary six week, you know, muscle injury absence and what does that do to them? Um, and I think fundamentally too, they are very small and, you know, I thought they did a great job in the game against the Bucks last Friday of really pressuring the perimeter. I mean, they, they put as much pressure on Giannis away from the basket as, as pretty much any team we've seen. Um, I think over a seven game series, I think it's just harder to win with a really small team against a team. I don't like think Bucks. Nick Claxton. I don't think Nick Claxton has a lot for Giannis in a seven game series. <laughs> I like Nick. Yeah. I like Nick. I like. I like Nick Claxton a lot. I think that's you know. I think like Philly and Milwaukee are two not awesome matchups for him. Yeah, he's not, and he's also probably not going to go you know nine for nine um, on mid range floaters. As good as he is at those shots, weirdly, um, he's probably not going to you know, shoot a hundred on those, um, every, every series, but, but yeah, so I mean, I think whatever Brooklyn is always interesting with, with Katie in particular, but you know, we'll see where they are in, in two, three months and, and come playoff time. And then Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess with Cleveland, it's just, I mean, can they acquire a wing, right? I mean, if they can add, um, you know, the kind of wing that everybody wants, uh, obviously their war chest has been depleted from the Mitchell move. Um, I, you know, I haven't given much thought to, to who they might try to acquire that, that could sort of, you know, tie the room together. Um, but, uh, certainly someone who's not Isaac Okoro would, would help. And then, you know, I don't know with Ricky Rubio, I mean, obviously he was really key and, and did great things for them at the start of last season. And, you know, historically he was basically doing Ricky Rubio type stuff, which is helping you win basketball games. Um, but you know, how much does that matter? now that they already have Mitchell and Garland and those guys need the ball all the time. I don't know. Right. Especially coming off Ricky's ACL tear. So for me that Brooklyn or uh, Cleveland might be the team that the trade deadline might be, you know, the most have the biggest opportunity to, to fix a glaring weakness. Uh, and again, I, I don't know with their current asset uh, asset list, like what, what's reasonable for them to do to, to bolster their winged up. But, um, but I would certainly look at them as like a team that, could maybe has more upside than any other team, you know, of the East contenders maybe to really get better by making a, a trade deadline acquisition. But again, I think certainly with their youth, maybe it's you know, probably still a year or two too early with them, but certainly um, they're a team that I think is going to be fun to watch certainly in the coming years. And I don't, I certainly wouldn't want to discount them winning a round or two this year either. No, I think, I think that, that, a year too early on Cleveland. I think that's that that's maybe flippant, but just you know, based on you know, Mitchell's got a lot of play experience, but nobody else relevant really has much of any. And in particular, Evan Mobley, who I think you know um, uh, is sort of their ticket to being a top level team. Whether he ends up being better than Mitchell or not, just having him be at least on that level is is their uh, is their path forward. And that you know, probably need another year for that to happen. And certainly a a oh this is the playoffs kind of uh kind of kind of situation um so i think yeah i think i'd i'd, I'd agree with you i mean the one the one caveat is that i think that you know you mentioned you know but i i think you do have to as structurally unsound as they are as a team you do have to you know consider the kd best player yeah you know K, kd goes 
does he have four and seven of he scores, you know, 48 points on 22 shots, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, which the Bucks have seen before. Yeah. <laughs> so they yes, exactly. In there. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, and that's, and that's, you know, if, if, uh, if, you know, one of Harden or Irving are healthy or Joe Harris makes a shot ever, I think the Nets probably win that series as, you know, as played at least. Like, I think, you know, you, you play that series with the, the available rosters a bunch of times, then Bucks probably win in fewer than seven games more often than Brooklyn wins overall. But still, it was a very close series based strictly on KD, you know, being awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that – um, and I think to to your earlier point, I think that's almost a um, the desirability of almost trying to get the one seed. Um, if you think yeah. about it, I mean, you, you, the the number one thing is avoiding the four or five because that that puts you in a situation of having to win three. Like I think we, we I think everyone at this point would probably agree that there's all right the the Raptors and the Heat might be feisty and. And, you know, whoever else kind of pops into the playoffs. But I think that in terms of really being a threat, probably five deep in the East this year, right? And, you know, that four or five matchup puts you up against one in the first round. Um, the You are obviously, no matter where you are, you're playing one in the second round. But if you're the one seed, you're definitely getting them at home and you're definitely get, getting them, you presumably having, you know, one first round over someone not super awesome in four or five and them having had to battle um, is, is, is it, you know, a better, better situation to be. So again, I don't know how much, I don't know how much that like that matters, you know, to the, the bucks in terms of chasing that, but um, it, that does, it does in, indicate why it would be a good thing. Can I ask you one question? I know, um, I know we're, going to wrap up pretty soon. Let me ask you one question. I, I alluded to it earlier and it gets at the, the bucks and what kind of changes would they make? I mean, let's assume they, if they don't make any major moves. And as you said, John horse has generally been pretty aggressive the last you know number of deadlines in terms of making moves at the, you know, at the trade deadline. But uh, if you're, I mean, if you're in bud shoes, Looking at your starting five, I mean, let's just Chris Middleton's back by the end of this week or early next week, whatever it might be. Um, what direction would, would you go for the fifth starter? And how much does thinking ahead to the playoffs matter at this point for you? Because I, I've just sort of come back to this sort of thing, thought of, hey, at this point, just, well, like, I, I don't really have the appetite to play one way or play with one starting five all regular season. And then, you know, we saw Bud last year, late in the season, switch to Wes Matthews in lieu of Grayson Allen, which I think was smart. Um, and, and again, given Wes's, you know, mileage, like made some sense that they didn't do it necessarily earlier. Um, but this year I've sort of just been thinking, maybe it's just, you just say, all right, you know what, Pat Connaughton, you're just going to be our starter. And, you know, I know Bud likes bringing you off the bench, but maybe you just start Pat Connaughton and you don't worry about, the fact that Grayson Allen doesn't really match up <laughs> with the Boston Celtics. And so if you don't need to play Grayson Allen as much off the bench in that series, and you just don't, but you don't have to rearrange your whole starting five in that type of eventuality. But I mean, they have, they have a lot of like imperfect options, I would say, whether it's again, Wes Matthews, whether it's, you know, we've seen Marjan Bochamp even start some games uh, of late. And I think he's you know the only interesting young guy they really have. Um, but what, I don't know, what's, where are you at with, the bucks and, and what type of direction you would go from that fifth starter standpoint. I, I would want to say boat boat champ if for no other reason than just like, I, I need to learn like, yeah. Can, can he play with this group? Is he, yeah. but I don't think that works. Cause I think that you like, then you're, you're almost too top heavy. And like, I don't think, I don't think, you know, at this point you want Middleton to have to chase a lot of twos. I don't think, I mean, I, I think, you know, but I, I, I don't like the option of, of, you know, especially teams that like play, like, you, you know, you're playing Cleveland or something like that, that leaves either Middleton or, or, <laughs> or Bochamp chasing Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. Like, I, yeah. so I think that just from a positionality standpoint, probably doesn't work. I would like, I want, I would want him to be high in the rotation for the next 30 games just to sort of, 
test drive, if you will. And yeah. and I think that, you know, of the of the kind of the options you've kind of gone through, I mean, it's it, the options as, as I see them for that second guard spot are Carter Connaughton, um, uh, Allen and Matthews. And I think that I agree with you that on balance, Connaughton is the best of those options. Um, and that brings us back to our earlier point of if I could conjure up a two guard <laughs> at the deadline, you know, I don't know. Is like I, have, I haven't even looked at like the the cap mechanics of it, but like, would you be interested in a Buddy Healed? Like, yeah, I mean, for a team that that I, I don't know. I, I just saying the name. I, I don't know if there's any way for them to actually get the money. I haven't even get to the money. I haven't even looked at it. Um, yeah, probably. I, I think the. Yeah, I think it's probably. I think if you were going through that degree of cap gymnastics. I would want someone who's not, but you know, if I, what does he make? Twenty million, around twenty, I think. Right? I think he had a declining deal. I want to say, but it was around twenty. Um, so yeah, I, I probably would just say like I just think he's too probably one dimensional. But um, that's but a dimension you need a lot of. Yeah, no, I agree. And the problem is, you know, Grayson Allen just doesn't like. You look at his game log; he just hasn't shot many threes lately, and it seems like he just needs more room to get those open looks than he's been able to go right now. And against the Boston team that has shown they can defend Giannis competently without sending extra help. You know, you need guys that have, you know, that, that off the dribble tight contested shooting ability that I don't think Grayson necessarily has. And I don't know that anybody other than Chris Middleton on this current team has maybe Drew does, does at times, but, um, but yeah, it's just a tough spot given the lack of, you know, first rounders before 2029 and the lack of, you know, there's no obvious guy that you'd wouldn't mind trading that that would have value. And then, uh, you know, just being so far into the luxury tax and the limitations on trades that that come with that. It's uh, it's just a tough, tough spot to to, to be in and, and to to make moves from for sure. So we're I mean, it seems like we've talked around it and it's a little bit, um, you know, it, it, my team is on the floor, and if my team is on the floor, we'll see if they're good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there I, I mean, there are worse spots to be. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, to a large extent, like we're really just talking around the fact that we just need to see this team with Chris Middleton. We need to see, you know, ideally Chris Middleton get to you know a reasonably healthy in rhythm spot and see what they look like at that point. And and this is where the clock, you know, in the talk about the trade deadline I and mean, this is where Middleton missing so much time really works against them just because they're going to have less of a sample seeing Chris play with the rest of this group. Um, and, and again, you, you know, you, you hate, you hate going into the deadline feeling like, well, I really don't know what I have. Right. And I, I worry I mean, about that less, to be honest. I think well, I'm, you... I'm exaggerating with the bucks. Yeah. I mean, again, no, like, this is, but... this is a very like bucks, bucks, um, yeah. but you know, like in, in the little bucks bubble. Cause like, in large part, we know what this team, they, we know they can win a championship, but um, to the point of like, well, how does this seventh man work with, you know, this bench unit? Like, that's the kind of stuff we won't have necessarily as much data on, which again, first world problem for sure, as you were alluding to earlier in the call. But, you know, I think overall, you know, they need Chris Milton back because without him, there's not a, a real chance to win a championship. But again, I, I think from all indications are, I mean, he should be back soon. I think it's just a question of, how quickly can you come back? And then, you know, from a regular season standpoint, um, you know, obviously Giannis has put up monster scoring numbers, but I think Giannis will be better um, moving forward than he, than he has been over the past few weeks where, you know, again, he's had some, some less efficient, I mean, he's been on a little bit of a, a challenging streak. And again, he still had a couple 40 point games. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not to say that we're not seeing him capable of doing huge things, but again, the bar, for best player in the world is so high, right? We expect so much of him and other guys, whether it's Embiid, Luca, KD, I mean, we're seeing other guys play at such a high level, uh, Tatum on, on Christmas day that, you know, they, they need Giannis to be consistently at that level and ideally above it to, to give them, you know, a chance at the number two or, or hopefully maybe even the number one seed, depending on how injuries kind of play out with the Celtics. For sure. I think that's a, that, that that's a, 
good a spot as any to leave it. I mean, it, I think you, you said it, and I think this plays, this should play into, you know, personnel stuff is like, okay, if, if, if Chris Middleton is not like right at the playoffs, we're done. So let's make our moves assuming he is because yep. we're, we're all in on a championship every year from now until this core breaks up. So we'll, we'll have like, we'll make moves as if, and if it doesn't work out, oh, well, but like you, you don't have time to, to see if he is. And if, if the answer is no, it doesn't matter. Cause it's not like you're going to, you know, recoup future assets this year anyway. So, right. Um, so anyway, I think uh, um, that's a good, good place to stop. We can, it's an endless, it's, it's gets back to my original <laughs> point of like, we don't really learn anything about the bucks during the regular season and it's sim to playoffs. <laughs> and then we see, um, it's but, it's uh, it's all we all we learn is we should appreciate watching Giannis do the crazy incomparable things that he can do on a night to night basis and that especially since the championship you know where a lot of the the old bucks can they win the title narrative stuff went away um to me that was a nice opening to basically just say you know what the regular season it may be performative to some even to the bucks maybe to an degree to a degree but thankfully um you know we can to some degree just say like all right you know what I'm just going to enjoy watching Giannis do Giannis things because I'm certainly never going to see anybody do that again in Milwaukee. And I don't, I don't know that we're going to see many or, or anyone do that uh, night to night on, on any NBA basketball court uh, again. So yeah, to me, the last couple of years have been, I've been in full just Giannis appreciation mode. And again, goal is still to win a championship, but uh, that, that, that keeps me tuning in night to night in the regular season, at least. For sure. Well, Frank Madden, thank you for, uh, thank you for joining me. Um, see you for lunch on Friday. Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks folks for listening. I am back tomorrow with Brad Rowland to, uh, to talk about a team that, that has many more questions, uh, including, <laughs> including some, some sort of franchise level questions of things they've done and things they might have to do uh, tomorrow. And then we talked about the Cavs a little today and I'll have Kelsey Russo from the athletic on, on Friday to talk in depth about the Cleveland Cavaliers. So thanks folks for listening. 